In episode 7, I chat with Sasha Coward about the importance of telling LGBTQ stories in museums. Hello, uh, my name's Sasha Coward and I'm the Community Participation Producer at Royal Museums Greenwich. So that's uh, National Maritime Museum, Cutty Sark, Royal Observatory and the Queen's House. Um, so what sort of work do you do at Royal Museums Greenwich? Um, so my job title's a big mouthful, Community Participation Producer, I can barely say it in a rush. Uh, Basically, it's working with communities, and anyone that works in the museum sector knows that the community word is a big sort of, I know it's a stand-in for a lot of things. It means local audiences, it means people that don't normally come to museums, it means diversity. So often it means working with LGBTQ plus groups, it means working around access and disability with BAME groups, um, any groups who are, we think we could really connect with the collections or there are stories in the collections that um, could be really relevant and exciting that maybe haven't been pulled out and those connections haven't been made with the collections. So I do projects, I do workshops, I go out and do outreach, events, activities, I work on two galleries that are opening next year. Um, so it's a bit of everything and to be honest all of the people in my department we all overlap and do a bit of each other's work anyway. Yeah, I mean it sounds pretty full on like, and busy as well. Oh no it's a breeze. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like um, it is ridiculous that one person should be communities, it's ridiculous that one person should be diversity so it is like most roles it is, it is totally unachievable mm -hmm. in its scale but then the same would go for like families we have a family program producer and how can you represent every single family in the uk every, you can't and every family is so different as well just like every yeah so exactly so with your job in mind um what sort of programs have you put on like in the museum for mm. example um so let's see all kinds of stuff and it's almost difficult to know where to start i would definitely want to talk a bit about lgbt history month sure i know that um that's something that I think I'm known for working on, so um, I'm gay and it is an interest of my own, it's something I identify with and I think there is a long way to go still in how museums and heritage work around um, the subject of sexuality and gender. Sure. So I run LGBT History Month at the National Maritime Museum and so we do a family festival called uh, Out at Sea, All right. uh, which we do every year on a Saturday. Um, uh, we do an evening of lectures and talks with the official LGBT History Month group. Uh, we also um, do pub quizzes, we do family workshops during the weeks, we do tours, we do a bit of everything. And uh, next year we're doing our first um, queer takeover of the Queen's House. Oh, right, well, and the Queen's House is, that was recently reopened, I think? Right? Yeah, yeah, so it's all glossy and shiny and new. Uh, and one of the things we kind of were playing around with is it's been a space of performance and gender bending like it always has been that space right. um, because if you look at like the history of theatre you had uh, men playing women yeah. uh, you have kings and queens throughout history who we are now exploring their gender and sexuality mm -hmm. um, we know that there is a story in the Queen's House relating to Queen Anne and her relationship to Sarah Churchill okay. that they were very very close and at the time it was insinuated yeah. uh, that they were in um, a lesbian relationship although obviously that word wasn't used yeah. um, so there's a lot of stuff then we want to kind of take a big glossy historical site and just see it through a queer lens for a night yeah 
It's going to be really fun. Uh, we've sort of like it, to, to really put a really tacky twist on it. It's RuPaul's Drag Race with roughs. But we, yeah, it's good. I mean, it's that's the kind of the sexy, fun, time out friendly side. But the um, the whole idea is we don't just want to do drag queens, we want to look at gender fluidity, Mm -hmm. drag kings, female drag performers. So there'll be a real variety of different kinds of gender play going on. Uh, But it will be funny. This isn't about inviting people to like a gender workshop, it is about like a good, comedic, extravagant, vibrant night. Yeah, with great cocktails. Yeah, but we want to re-educate people a little bit yeah. about like what is gender, what can you do with it, mm-hmm. like kick it around, play play football with it, see what yeah, happens. Yeah. Okay, so we'll come back to that in a second. Yeah. But you're saying you've done other programs so far, and how successful have they been um, with bringing LGBTQ stories into the museum? Um, Success is really difficult to judge for my job. Um, yeah. That's like a massive get out, isn't it? Because I can always say how successful I want to be. <laughs> like I draw my own parameters. I have KPIs, so I have numbers of people that I need to attend. I have to track their engagement. I have to do all the evaluation. All the boring stuff happens. Yeah. But the difficult thing is, um, for example, if you're working, just to go off the LGBT topic for a second, with a... A refugee group, yeah, and you get six refugee families coming into a session, and they have an incredible experience, and they connect with the collections, and they grow in confidence mm-hmm. in Greenwich. Mm-hmm. That's amazing, but it's only six families, yeah, but it's still really impactful. Yeah, but it's not. It's not always about the numbers. Yeah, exactly. So it's about scale of impact. What are you trying to achieve? And that is where it gets a bit complicated. Yeah, for LGBT History Month, I think we've been hugely successful. Right. The major ways is that I think we are now known for being a place that does LGBT history when two years ago we had never done LGBT yeah. history. That's excellent as well. So that's, it, it, it is amazing and it does just go to show you to anyone that's struggling to tell their stories or do their work, whatever it is, just do it. Yeah. If you, if you do it and you sort of like wear the t-shirt yeah. and you bang the drum and you put out a few tweets, you kind of fake it till you make it. And I know that sounds like a really nasty thing to say, but if you're confident and you want to get something done, mm-hmm people are waiting for people to stand up and say yeah we're doing LGBT History Month mm-hmm. suddenly you'll have hundreds of people turning around going yeah National Maritime Museum does LGBT History Month and you should speak to Sasha about it like he does loads of stuff yeah I've been doing it two years yeah it's not like this is something that I was born into yeah 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 but it's cool mm-hmm. that people have been really into it so that's been a success I think we now have more LGBT people coming to the museum. We have queer couples. I definitely see way more coming into the museum than before. We have things like our Fun Palace, um, which is a yearly science and arts festival, which has nothing to do with LGBT in particular. This year we had a a voguing lesson. We had a um, transgender youth group come along. We had a whole session, um, the storytelling session, um, kind of gay friendly stories for kids. And it's like that happened because of the work of LGBT History Month. Yeah. So using the big buzzword intersectionality, mm-hmm. we now do queer stuff even if it's not February. Yeah. Like if we're doing Black History Month, what about Black queer history? Yeah. If we're doing a Christmas party, let's gay men, get gay men's chorus to come along yeah. and sing. Why not? Why can't you do that? Yeah, exactly. So that's been a huge success. All right, cool. So you've obviously talked about some things that have been successes and you know not necessarily numbers but how people are engaging with the museum and engaging with the collections Um, have you found there to be any challenges along the way with 
maybe roadblocks you've run into or um, sort of opposition or perhaps tokenism? Yeah, so all of those things. Um, so I would like to start just by saying, and this isn't me trying to do like platitudes for my um, for my museum because I do love my museum. Yeah. And the reason I love it is because I feel like if I wanted to say crappy things about it, it would be all right. So that's one of the things that has made me feel a lot of love for it. Mm-hmm. But also... That I've had incredible support yeah. in doing LGBT History Month. I, I would, doing all the queer pro- programming, all the community programming that I do, there's been really, like, generally 98% support. That's pretty and I think there are institutions where that is not happening at all. So mm-hmm. I don't want to, like, take the small things that are wrong, mm-hmm. blow them out of proportion, because I know there are people in smaller museums, in less funded museums, in more conservative areas, who are really struggling just to make the first steps. Yeah. That all brushed to one side. Yes, there have been issues. And they're more kind of systemic, they're more sort of societal issues that you just see reflected in the museum sector. Right, okay. Um, so one of the things that drives me absolutely bonkers is uh, kind of the straight until proving guilty thing about history. So when we're looking at our collections and we're trying to look for queer stories, um, queer stories don't get written down on a piece of paper you don't find a letter from a queen saying or any kind of queen <laughs> saying like uh, my lgbt lover am i it doesn't happen yeah. because those words didn't exist they were they were tacit they were underground they were secretive yeah. you find them in criminal reports you find sodomy records but you don't sure. find out about who the people were yeah. so you have to look at it through a queer lens you have to flip it you have to be inventive sometimes you know the few times you get those breadcrumb trails that seem really direct and it's like the case of Queen Anne people were writing things down about her and Sarah Churchill that's really great in the historic record like great that's something we can talk about but you still get pushback like well but you can't prove it and I wonder like if someone had written down Queen Anne really likes cheese I wouldn't have to prove that to talk to the public about it yeah exactly if Queen Anne had a bit of a crush on one of her male servants right I wouldn't have to prove that to talk about it if I had the written evidence we could have a conversation about it but because it insinuates that she may have had inclinations towards someone of the same sex you can't say it you can't even bring it up until it's proven Mm -hmm. and that's the thing I hate because what it is implying see I'm on my soapbox now Uh, (laughs) is that you know there's something still a little bit dirty and naughty and if you're implying a queen is a queen (laughs) or a queen is a lesbian or a queen is is bi or whatever term we would use nowadays you are defiling them you are digging up their corpse and you're saying something awful about them and I find that deeply offensive and incorrect and also it happens everywhere with black history with disabled histories with stories around access with stories around whatever minority you want to look at you have to fight so hard just to be able to talk about it and that's tiring and for people who are in the LGBT community to see themselves represented even for a heartbeat for a moment in a panel yeah. text particularly when you're younger and you're going around school maybe on a school trip yeah, exactly. is so affirming we've always been here I'm not weird I'm not some glib fashion choice mm-hmm. we've existed before and we will continue to exist yeah. it's so powerful so that's one of that's one of one, many, many things, things. So I'm so sorry I will try possibly. and whiz through this yeah um you said tokenism 
I think it's a really tricky one. It's, it's along the same lines of like appropriation, which I know like the BAME community and detox talk a, a lot about. So the idea that like yes, it's great to celebrate a culture or not a minority, but sometimes it's done in a way that isn't sensitive, or there's no, mm-hmm. or that that minority isn't even involved in the conversation. Yeah, um, and that does happen. I think one of the issues is like it's it's not enough just to say. I know, let's just stick a drag queen in the space mm. or let's just call a cocktail this thing or rainbow cell, let's just stick a rainbow on mm. it. If you've not done your research beforehand, yeah. if you've not spoken to the community, it comes across as glib and hollow. Mm. And worse than that, it comes across as basically you'll say you're fetishizing it and you're saying yeah. this is something a bit freaky deaky. Um, it's almost cheapening like what you're trying to you know, yeah. display to show, to educate. You know, exactly. You're kind of cheapening your message by saying oh, here's such and such but here's yeah. a rainbow and blah 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 it's, it's that sense of the, you know the, the word um, who is a, the, one of the people who opened the uh, Museums Association conference the uh, poet do you remember his name Lem Sissy yeah Lem yeah. Sissy uh, who was incredible yeah. he said he was joking about the word urban yeah like oh is this urban and yeah. we know that urban's become a synonymous word for black yeah and originally I think urban was something that maybe was being used by people who actually defines BAME and now it's become a sort of coded white word for the black community without mm-hmm. having to say the word black. Mm-hmm. The word queer has gone through so many like morphs, it's swapped it. It's yeah, gone yeah, from yeah. being an insult, it's slowly being reclaimed and now it's like time out front page, queer blah blah blah, queer mm. this and there's something about that which yeah cheapens the meaning it's of that. Becoming fashionable is yeah. so and I don't yeah I don't want to be some hipster because it is so exciting when people get excited about your culture yeah your identity and and I and I really think it's great for people to feel welcome to go into spaces that aren't their own and explore an identity that isn't their own and and it's not about saying like you can't be this you can't come here you haven't walked in my shoes that's bollocks but it's there is there is a sense of just just taking away the heart and soul and sticking a rainbow flag on something, and I, I do see that happening mm-hmm. a little bit in the sector. In fact, more and more. And maybe it's a great problem to have. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, the counter argument might be it's best intentions, mm. but if it's you know straight white person thinking let's do X, Y, and Z, let's make this urban and rainbows, because that ticks the boxes. That's Ooh. not going to work. That's, yeah. you know, kind of cheapens your whole performance, your whole education program, your whole exhibition program as well, if it's not, the people off any minorities are not consulted. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And it, it becomes a costume, and it's not actually, yeah. It, there's, there's, I've been speaking, so trying to do this queer event next year, mm-hmm. um, I've been talking to a lot of drag performers and, and ballroom, which is a sort of the, the underground drag uh, scene, which is largely BAME originating in kind of New York and Brooklyn. Sure. And it's not something I know a huge amount about, but I'm slowly trying to learn about. Yeah. And they sort of own this culture, like RuPaul's Drag Race, we know that's really popular. Mm-hmm. Voguing was in a Madonna video, mm-hmm. duh, duh, duh. but it has a history that goes along before that. Mm-hmm. And in events that have happened, particularly at museums, yeah. where there have been big drag takeovers, who's the audience? White, wealthy, middle class, mm-hmm. straight. Mm-hmm. Because they go to the zoo, yeah. and they go and see the amazing, fabulous peacocks. Mm-hmm. 
but there's a glass wall in the way and you know and that's something that's that i want to get away from i don't want to create a zoo i want to make sure that there is no reason why a wealthy white middle class cisgendered couple can't come to my queer event have a wicked time Mm -hmm. and and have a laugh as well yeah but i want to make sure that a good percentage of that audience are also people who who live that yeah. and know that yeah. and they connect on a deeper level I want yeah I want to build a queer space yeah. not put queer people in a straight space yeah that makes sense it's, it's really pretentious but it no, is no. <laughs> that's great Sasha thank you very much for your time no, no really problem, appreciate it, uh, taking time out to do the podcast with me thank you